Hey everyone, this is Tanya. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Whatever I Watch. Again, this podcast is centered around covering topics related to social issues, entertainment, global news, latest trends, and even sports. So I look forward to talking to you today and I hope you enjoy listening. Since I'm recording this during the holiday season, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about travel. I've done a lot of travel over the last few months. I do a little bit for work, but I also do quite a bit for personal time as well. And I've been on some pretty interesting trips over the last year. And, you know, one thing I love about travel is that you just never know what you're going to get. Sometimes the experience is great, and other times the experience is a nightmare. When I reflect on a good trip, it's usually because everything has happened according to my expectations. So there's no delays. Everything is smooth sailing. A big factor into whether a trip is successful or not is the mode of transportation. Now, I fly quite a bit. I live in the South, so we don't have a lot of robust public transportation like trains and things like that. So usually I'm flying everywhere. I do drive on occasion, but it has to be like four hours or less. If, if it's greater than four hours, count me out. Given that flying is generally my primary mode of transportation. I travel throughout the United States, of course, but then I also do quite a bit of international travel as well. Just over the last month, I've been to London, Dublin, Paris. In a few days, I'm about to go to the British islands. So I do love traveling internationally, but I also find that domestic travel, even though should be easier, is always the one that seems slightly more complicated. I thought I'd share a few stories about some really interesting occurrences that have happened to me while I've traveled, and I thought you'd probably get a kick out of that. One of the things I love about traveling internationally is that you get to immerse yourself in a different culture, a different lifestyle, a different experience, and I love that. I like the anonymity of being somewhere that's completely different from where I live or where I grew up. When I travel internationally, I do my homework. I look to see what are the local people wearing? What are their styles? What do they typically say? I try to learn some of the language. I really try to immerse myself because my ultimate goal is to not look like a tourist. Sometimes it works for me and sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) But I love just the opportunity to try. One of my favorite stories is related to my trip to Paris about six or seven years ago. It was the first time I'd gone. I was with a girlfriend of mine and we were just exploring the city, doing a lot of walking, very, very immersed in the history and the typical, you know, touristy things that you do when you're in Paris, like the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower and then going to the Versailles Palace, all those great things. That was another great example of where I completely did my homework. I was like, okay, people in Paris normally wear like dark colors. Um, They 
at the time didn't really wear tennis shoes. Tennis shoes is a typically a symbol of being an American. So there was no tennis shoes. So I, I had like different versions of boots that I would wear. I was very layered. So even though we went during a reasonably warm season, if I had a t-shirt on or a shirt on, I'd layer that with some kind of cool jacket. Or I'd always uh, also, if there's opportunity to wear a stylish hat or something like that, I would do that as well. So I, I love that immersing myself in that whole experience. Where it worked for me was, I remember we were on our way to the Eiffel Tower. Someone walked up to me and started speaking to me in broken French. And they had a map and they were pointing to things on the map. And it took me a moment to realize that they thought that I spoke French and I could give them directions, (laughs) which was awesome for me because that meant that they thought I was local. Of course, you know, I pretended to look at the map for like a hot second. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm American. (laughs) I can't help you. So that was actually kind of funny. And then I remember another instance where I was in the Louvre. We had just finished doing like an audio tour. So we were handing back our headsets to the volunteer that was at the door. And as I was handing my headset over to this guy, he says, are you American? And I'm like, oh man, I didn't even say a word to this guy. How did he know? And I'm pretty sure that I blended in. And I'm also pretty sure that people that live in France go to the Louvre as well. And I said, yes, I'm American. How did you know? And he said, it was because I smiled at him. And that indicated to me that most folks are fairly serious, which of course is reminiscent to walking around in New York, you know, walk around with a stupid grin on your face. You you walk around like you mean business. So lesson learned. So I was trying to be serious for the rest of the trip as much as possible, but I do love smiling. So I don't know how successful I was there, but that's just two quick examples of how I try to immerse myself and kind of the different outcomes that I experience when I do, or the experience that when I'm not successful, of course, but That's the kind of fun stuff about traveling is that you just never know who you're going to run into. You don't know um, who will interact with you, what kind of experience you're going to have. And that gives you just so much more joy, in my opinion, in allowing yourself to go somewhere and be somewhere that's completely different. And I will say I have had that experience in the United States as well. There's still many parts of the U.S. that I haven't yet visited or explored, although I've tried to go to as many different states and cities and popular monuments and things like that as much as possible. But I do recognize there's there's times where even in the U.S., uh, I may not look like I'm from there. I might be a little bit out of pocket But I I enjoy the history that the United States has, and I do enjoy the people that I get to run into and interact with. In that vein, I thought I'd share a couple of interesting stories over related to travel that I've had over the last few years that I thought would be entertaining. Probably one of the more recent ones was actually a trip that wasn't very special at all. I was traveling to California for work and I had to fly back to Dallas where I live currently to do a presentation with a client. It's a typical trip that I take. It's just a back and forth. It's three and a half hours, uh, four usually on the return. And I'm pretty much entertained myself when I'm watching stuff on my iPad or, you know, listening to music. 
So in this particular case, there's a really bad storm that had settled over Texas, and apparently they were trying to figure out, could we actually land in Dallas or would we have to circle a bit? The flight that I took out was fairly late in the evening, Central Standard Time. Essentially, it was you know probably around three or four from coming from California, but if you add on the extra four hours and then the time zone difference, we were coming in pretty late. And it was determined that they were going to reroute us to Austin, which I'm like, okay, no big deal. Austin's only a 40 minute flight from Dallas. So we'll reroute there, sit on the tarmac for a little bit, and then we'll fly to Dallas. And as painful as it might be, given that we would probably get in at like one or 2 a.m., I was fine with it because I was like, okay, I at least will get a few hours of sleep. I'll, I have a meeting with my team at the office in the morning, and then we have that presentation with the client in the early afternoon. So we land in Austin, and they said we were just going to sit there for like 45 minutes, and then they would take off. Well, we sat there. An hour went by. Two hours went by. And finally, they said to us, we are going to have to deplane you. And I was like, oh, man, this sucks. I'm like, well, okay. We'll make it happen. You know, we'll get off. They'll probably wait till the storm passes and then we'll get back on and we'll fly out. We get off the flight. And again, at this point, it's probably about one in the morning. There are no airline attendants behind the desk. Everything was pretty much shut down. And they had no information as far as what's next. It was like the weirdest experience I'd ever had as far as lack of information. So we're all asking, okay, so is this flight going to take off again? (laughs) Like, what is happening? Are you going to rebook us? Nobody had any information. There was really nobody talked to because everything was shut down. So, of course, everyone on the flight is making phone calls. I'm calling the airline. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm trying to call my office uh, travel agent as well. So I had multiple lines going at the same time. I also was very cognizant that that day I had really important things I had to do. Like I could not be missing for that meeting with the client because I'm the one that was leading it. I remember I was sitting on the floor because everyone was just kind of hanging near the gate because we really didn't know where to go. None of us were expecting to be in Austin. So it's not like we had people there to pick us up. So I literally was sitting on the floor making phone calls. I was able to book a flight on a different airline that flew out at 5 a.m. And I closed my eyes (laughs) on that floor for about two and a half to three hours. And then I was able to wake up and board that flight. It was a really surreal experience because it was the first time that I felt very helpless in the sense that usually I feel with airlines, they kind of take care of you. But in this instance, I felt like I had to take care of myself. And if I hadn't had been aggressive and trying to find an alternative, then I wasn't going to go anywhere. (laughs) To accelerate the story, I ended up landing in Dallas at around 6.30, 7 a.m., I still had to drive an hour to my house because I lived on the other side of Dallas from the DFW airport. I had to change. I had to kind of pull my outfit together for the client meeting. I completely missed the touch point with the team. I had to talk to them on the phone. And then we literally kind of rolled in and did that presentation. 
And I will tell you, I was exhausted. I was completely exhausted. And I was a little worried that I was going to come across as such, but I pushed through. And I didn't even tell the client that what had happened the night before, because I felt like I can't make my issue their issue. The great thing about it was we actually ended up, it was a pitch for some new work for our company. We actually won the work. I had to attribute it to probably the adrenaline that I had because <laughs> I was trying to keep it together. But that whole experience was surreal because that was probably the first time given how much travel that I've done over the last you know, 20, 25 years of my life, that was actually the first time that I had a situation where I got diverted and didn't know exactly how I was going to get home. Usually they rebook you right away and things like that. But in this case, that didn't happen. So I really had to kind of rely on my sources to figure it out. So that was a prime example of a travel experience that I hope I will never repeat again. After I made that pitch to the client, I went directly home and slept for several hours. <laughs> Another trip that I took, and this was a trip to Miami. I was going for work, leaving the Dallas area. I sometimes get seated next to interesting characters. It was probably an hour into the flight. At this point, I was watching a movie on my iPad, had my headphones on like I normally do. The gentleman sitting next to me in the middle seat, I had noticed him before. And, I, and let me just break it down for you. When I get on a plane, I have no intention of talking to anybody unless I am traveling with a friend. And even then, my friend is lucky if they're going to get any conversation out of me. <laughs> I like traveling in, in silence. I like traveling and being in the zone. I like listening to my music. I like being very chill. I do have no intention of carrying on a conversation. I think part of it is because I like the quiet. I think the other part too is, you know how just super annoying it is to have people carrying on conversations around you. And not that that's not normal, but I get extremely annoyed when you have individuals that are carrying on conversations and they can't seem to understand how loud they are. It's like they're trying to speak over the wind that's hitting the plane or speak over everybody else on the plane. It is the most ignoring experience. And one of these days, I haven't done it yet, but one of these days I'm going to tap on somebody's shoulder and I'm going to say, look, you're just too loud. I mean, can you just take it down like a notch? Because I don't need to hear your whole life story. And quite honestly, it sounds like the person you're talking to doesn't really want to hear it either, but they're trying to be nice and let you do your thing. I'm very much headphones on. Whoever sits in the seat next to me, they will never see an empty ear because <laughs> my headphones will be on and you really have to get in my face to talk to me. So the gentleman that was sitting next to me, I had noticed him bored and he had boarded with his wife or his girlfriend. I'm assuming it was his wife, but they were not seated together. So he was in a middle seat next to me. His wife was sitting in a middle seat in the row in front of us. So about an hour into the flight, I feel a tap on my shoulder. And normally when I feel a tap, I'm like, oh God, they want to talk to me. But I'm going to try to pretend like I didn't feel it <laughs> and see if they'll change their mind. So I felt the tap. And then they tapped again. So I said, okay, in situations like this, if someone wants to talk to me, I only remove one speaker off my ear. I do not remove my whole headphones. I pull one back behind my ear to let them know I'm listening to you, but I intend to go back to my activity. This guy who had been reading a book at the time, he looked at me, he said, 
I just had to tell somebody how awesome this book is. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I put on some pretty crazy looks when someone tells me something I was not expecting. And I certainly was not expecting that. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I'm reading a book about pirates. As soon as he said that, I was like, Lord Jesus, <laughs> is this a test? Is this a test? And I said, pirates, huh? And he said, yes, this gives me a history of pirates that lived off the coast of Florida. And he proceeded to tell me a synopsis of the book that he was reading and how awesome he thought it was. And then I finally realized why he was talking to me about this. Apparently, there were certain types of pirates that he thought were super fascinating and would be of interest to me. He wanted to make sure that I was aware of that. And what I'm saying specifically is me being a Black woman, there were apparently Black pirates back in the day, and he wanted to share that with me. So I said, wow, that's very interesting. You know, thanks for sharing. And then I put my headphones back on my ear and I went back to my movie. When I paused to listen to him, I did not stop my movie, which essentially means I don't plan to listen to you for very long. I went back to my movie. No more than five minutes later, he tapped me again and I pulled my headphone back and he said, oh my gosh, I just got to another great part. And he's like, I know I'm bothering you, but my wife is sitting up there and and I, I feel like that, you know, you this is something you would be interested in. And I just looked at him like, okay, I don't know you. I don't know your name. I don't know where you're from. And you certainly don't know me. Why do you think I would be interested in a book about pirates? But of course I couldn't say that because I had to sit next to this guy for another hour and a half. So he continued to talk to me about his book and it went on for about 10 minutes. And finally, when he finished his synopsis, he said, hey, I think you're really going to like this book. He showed me the cover and the author and he's like, yeah, you should definitely check this out. He's like, this is probably one of the best books I've ever read. And again, I said, thank you for sharing. I cannot make this up. I literally cannot make this up. That was my experience in Miami, is a very entertaining conversation with a man who is clearly obsessed with pirates. Next story I'm going to tell you, this was actually a fairly recent one. I was on a flight. It was only about an hour and a half. It was flying from one part of Texas to another. This one had was just a comedy of craziness. I boarded the flight. As I was walking down the aisle, I noticed that there was a woman at my seat who had her suitcase open on my chair and she was digging through it. So I'm like, okay. So I stood to the side and I told her, hi, um, that's my seat. When you're ready, you know, let me know. And that was my indicator to her that I'm here. I'm going to let her do what she needed to do. So she was very kind. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Let me pull this together. She closed her suitcase, put it over the overhead. And then she went to her seat, which was on the window. So I walked to sit in my seat, which was on the aisle. And I will tell you, I don't normally sit in the aisle, but I had booked this flight late. The reason why I don't like the aisle is because I feel like I get hit by the cart a lot and by people walking by. 
one of the things that really irks me about flying on planes and sitting on the aisle is that people have no self-awareness about their bags. So especially those who carry backpacks, which I do a lot, so I'm very cognizant of this, but people who carry backpacks and like make sharp turns in the aisle and they're swinging their backpack. I've been hit in the face with a backpack because someone did not realize how big it was and how there was no space for them to be swinging around like that. This is why I don't do aisles, but in this case I did. I sat in the aisle, I looked to my right, and I realized that this woman had a dog. Now it wasn't a chihuahua-sized dog. This dog was very large. It was a labradoodle, a very tall one, and I was actually shocked that it was on the plane, quite honestly. <laughs> I don't know what the size requirements are for animals, but I was shocked to see this dog. I was also wondering like how she was allowed to have this dog on the plane. The dog was sitting in the middle seat. So I was like, oh, okay, so she has brought this dog. It is now gonna be sitting next to me on the plane. I now have to reconcile this in my brain that I'm gonna be sitting next to a dog. And of course the dog is looking at me in my eyes. I have to avert my gaze and just look down the aisle. So I'm like, okay, this is one of the things I wish airlines would really have a policy around, which is if you're planning to bring a dog onto a plane, there should be like a dog section or a service animal section for those who might be allergic to dogs, afraid of dogs, whatever it may be. Now I am neither. However, I don't want to be sniffed. I don't want to be licked. I like to take a hard pass on those things. So we're sitting there for a few minutes. I put my headphones on, of course, and then I feel a tap on my left shoulder. And so I look up and there's a gentleman, he has his boarding pass out and he's pointing to his boarding pass. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? So I look at his seat number and it's the middle seat. So the dog is sitting in his seat. And I'm like, where is this dog supposed to be? <laughs> so I look at the woman and I said, excuse me, it looks like this is this gentleman's seat. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. She proceeds to shoo the dog off the middle seat and tries to shove him under the seat in front of her. I, I can't even tell you what I thought at that point because I'm like, number one, the dog's not going to fit. Number two, is he going to stay there? It just was very odd to me because he seemed so large. So I get up, let the guy in the middle seat sit down. He zones out, does his thing. I put my headphones back on and I'm like, okay, at least I have a bit of separation between me and the dog. So at this point, I decided I'm going to start watching something on my iPad. So I start the episode. I start watching. I feel pressure on my right leg. I look down and the dog's face is on my lap. And I continue to look down the row. This dog had come out from under the seat. He had crawled himself under the middle guy's legs and put his face on my lap. And I'm like, this, this here. <laughs> so I look across to the woman and I say, excuse me, your dog is over here. And she acts like she had no clue. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me get him, let me get him. She grabs him, he comes back over there. She puts him in, on, in her lap. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you not know that your dog has come out from under the seat? And that I, I just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even. 
So again, I'm like, it's not my problem. She's got the dog secure. I think she tried to shove him back into the seat again. So I'm back to my iPad and I hear somebody talking at me. Now, let me remind you, I don't do a lot of talking on a plane. I like to be very low key. Already the interaction that I've had so far on this plane is too much. So I look up and it's someone that's a row up and I take off my headphone and I said, hi, I said, what's going on? He's like, is this your dog up here? And I'm like, what? (laughs) He's like, there's a dog on the floor where I'm supposed to sit. And then I realized that the dog had crawled under the seat where he was supposed to stay put and he had crawled up to the next row. So again, apparently as the spokesperson for the row, I leaned over to the woman and I said, ma'am, your dog is in the next row. And she's like, oh my God, he is? At this point I was done. I was so done. I'm like, okay, you bring your dog on the plane. You literally have no control over him clearly, but you can't even monitor like where he is. He's huge. How can you not know like where he is and where he's situated? I thought that was like the oddest thing ever. But at any rate, she grabbed the dog, got him situated. And luckily, I was like, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully this is it. The dog was actually very quiet. We didn't hear him bark a single time. He was very calm, but I was a little paranoid because I thought he might find a way to sneak over to me again. (laughs) All right, I'll tell you one more. This, This one will be a little different because this was actually on a train and not a plane, but I thought this one was probably one of my iconic stories that I love telling all the time. So my girlfriend and I traveled to Europe. We were in Italy. And it was such a wonderful trip because we flew into Rome and we essentially decided to take a train through Tuscany, Cinque Terre. We went to Venice, we went to Milan, and we were just really taking a train all over the country. Just the culture, the food, it was just amazing. And I'm sure I'll do a podcast at some point about Europe and and the great time that I've had over there. When I travel internationally, uh, I'm very organized as far as I make sure that all my ducks are in a row because I don't want to run into a situation where we have issues. And I also want to make sure that we have a contingency plan. So even though we were taking trains, we made sure that we had assigned seats. We made sure that we had luggage that could easily be carried. And that's one of the things that I'm really meticulous about. So in this instance, we were traveling from Milan to Venice We had only been in Milan for just one day. We were just there to kind of see the sights at a high level. We were really going to spend more time in Venice. So we got on the train. This was one of the carts where there were assigned seats. Let me put this in a little bit of context. I'm five foot 10, fairly tall. I would like to say I'm an authoritative figure, but you know, time will tell. My friend that I'm traveling with, she's very petite. She's about five, three at best. The two of us traveling together is always kind of funny because we're we're a bit opposite on um, a lot of different things, but in physical features as well as our mannerisms. So we get on this train and we find our car and we look in the car and it was approximately four people deep on either side. The seats that we were assigned to had two gentlemen sitting in the seats. 
So I was like, okay, so now I'm going to have to have a conversation with someone. Not only that, we're in Italy. Italian is the primary language. So now I'm going to have to figure out if this person can speak English. If they can't, can I string together enough Italian words to make it clear what we need? And I will emphasize that everybody in that cart was male. I walk in and I look at the two gentlemen and I will tell you they were very formidable men. One was probably about six feet, probably in his 30s. The other one looked like a teenager. They looked like they were related. I don't know if it was father, son or brothers. And I looked at him and I said, these are our assigned seats. Can you move? And they gave me the blankest stares that I have ever seen. And I was like, oh, goodness. (laughs) So now you're going to pretend like you don't understand what I'm saying. When you clearly know that you are not in the right seats. I raised my voice slightly. And again, you know how I feel about trying to blend in. So I didn't want to sound like an irate American. But at the same time, I wanted to be firm because I didn't want them to think they could take advantage of us because we were women. I said, sir, these are our seats. I'm going to need you to move. And then I showed my ticket and I pointed to the seats. So I could tell that they were going to try to push me a bit. So I... I said, Sherry, my friend, I said, let's bring our stuff. We kind of brought our stuff in to the small cart and everybody in that cart was looking at us. Like they were trying to gauge whether we were going to make this happen or not. And I pointed to my seat again and I, I kind of got leaned in a little close to this guy and I said, I need you to move. So he finally stood up and I realized he towered over me quite a bit. He was over six feet maybe six, five. And the other gentleman stood up as well and they shuffled out of the cart. And I'm like, oh, thank God. But what I didn't realize is that in the hallway of the train, they had these seats where you can just pull it down and sit. And I assume that's if you don't have an assigned seat, that's where you normally sit. You pull down these chairs. So once we got ourselves situated, we sit down, we get comfortable. And I look to my right, And these two guys are in my line of sight because they're sitting in these pull-down seats in the hallway. And I'm like, oh, Lord. And one of them was giving me a very evil eye. (laughs) And the train ride to Venice was not a quick ride. So I was like, oh, great. Now I have to sit on this train. I have to be vigilant because I don't know these guys. Clearly nobody else in the car was going to help us because they were being very passive. So I was like, okay, so I'm just going to have to stay alert and kind of figure out what happened. So I remember, you know, we were kind of writing for a few minutes and then I turn over to my friend to, you know, ask her a question. That girl had fallen asleep. And I remember looking at her thinking to myself, this guy could come over and like attack us as at any point you feel comfortable enough to close your eyes and fall asleep on this train. (laughs) I just remember just kind of keeping my eye on the guys because I, I, I felt them shooting daggers at us the whole time. But I knew I was like, OK, just in case we just have to be vigilant here. Halfway through the ride, a gentleman started walking through the hallway. He was selling something. I can't quite remember what it was. It was like either a newspaper or magazines or something. And he stopped by our car and he looked at me and he's, and he was like pointing to the magazine. I was like, I just shook my head. I was like, no. And then he said, 
American. I'm like, oh crap, how do you figure that out from my word? No. <laughs> and I just shook my head and he was trying to press me to buy whatever it was he was selling. And I was just like, no dude, keep moving. So as he was pulling away from our cart, the train made a sudden stop. And this guy who was selling this merchandise went flying across the train. I felt bad for him because he, he definitely landed on the floor. And my eyes locked with the gentleman who was originally sitting in our seats, who was sitting in the hallway, giving me the evil eye the whole time. We locked eyes and we both started laughing because this guy, <laughs> I mean, I normally don't laugh at people who crash and burn, but it was pretty hilarious. And then I realized, I was like, okay, we've broken the ice. We're friends now. And shortly thereafter, that gentleman and his brother, his son, stood up to exit the, the train on at one of the stops. And he smiled at me and he waved. And I felt like, okay, we're, we're okay. We're not going to have to get into a tussle with anybody in Italy where I don't speak the language. <laughs> That was a really interesting experience because one, that was probably the first time where I've traveled internationally that I thought I might have to tussle with somebody and I wasn't quite sure how I was going to handle myself. And then two, I realized that my friend was no help whatsoever. And I have to mentally remember that for future trips. So I hope this was entertaining. These are just a few things. I have tons of travel stories, so I'm sure I will revisit this again in the future. But given that travel's fresh on my mind and and given also that since we're a year or two out of COVID, we've started to see more people get out and about, I will leave you with this. For those who don't travel, do not deprive yourself of the experience. I have challenged myself to do that on an annual basis because I do find that sometimes I can get complacent and say to myself, I'll do that sometime in the future. What you find is time moves by very quickly. So take advantage of the opportunities to get out there and do something different. Even if it's traveling to another city in your state or even traveling internationally. And then two, capture the memories. I find that sometimes I travel with people that don't like to take a lot of pictures, <laughs> which I think is really weird. You know, I love photography. I take a lot of pictures wherever I go. Don't hesitate to capture the moment because those are the, the experiences that last a lifetime. I will take a trip over a gift any day of the week because that experience is something that can't be replaced. So that's my tip to all of you is take advantage of the opportunities to kind of get out there, try something new, explore. You won't regret it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Whatever I Watch. I hope you enjoyed today's content and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Until then, take care of yourself and each other.